0: Hey guys, are you ready for an epic story about a courageous forest boy in a short tunic who sets out to save a wise princess from a power-hungry
1: demon?
2: Oh yeah, I love Legend of Zelda.
1: Ooh, sorry, that's wrong.
0: Satirists, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the fantasy podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art.
1: I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mokel, here with my co-hosts. I'm Jack, a mildly courageous bog boy, but I won't be questing today.
2: And I'm Chelsea, ready to delve some dungeons.
0: This week we've got a legend. It's 1986's Ripley Scott classic masterpiece, Legend. Starring Tom Cruise, Mia Sarah, and Oh My Devil, Tim Curry.
2: Oh! Devil Daddy.
0: He is a real Devil Daddy in this movie. The mm-hmm. Cur himself. <laughs> Guys, this is an epic retelling of practically every fairy tale that's ever existed. Or something like that.
1: Right? Oh, good. We love fairy tales. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah.
2: Mix them all together into a tasty stew.
1: Mmm, stewy.
2: Eyeballs are the delicacy.
0: Oh, those are the tenderest bits, right? Yeah. That makes sense.
2: you get some of those floating around in there, you know, you've done good. <laughs>
0: So we watched the theatrical cut of this movie, not the director's cut that Ridley Scott and Tom Cruise would prefer that we watched. We watched what I would call the fun version. That's 20 minutes shorter and has, in my opinion, a much better soundtrack, courtesy of Tangerine Dream. For me, really made the movie. How about you guys?
2: It made it so much better. That music was howt.
0: Listen, Jerry Goldsmith's soundtracks are awesome. I always enjoy his orchestral stuff. But for some reason, I've only ever watched the director's cut of this movie before. Or at least that's all I remember watching. And just the music never stood out to me. This time, I was just pumped the whole way through.
2: Nice.
1: Yeah, Tangerine Dreams, Sweet and Sour Songs are the symphonies I wish to live by.
2: Wow, It really changed the mood of the scenes And and brought it all together It was perfect
1: Oh yeah, it's all coming together (laughs)
0: Boom Well before we get too far ahead of ourselves I'm sure Chelsea has prepared A little synopsis For everybody that will probably Go without any interruptions
1: Yes, any interruptions
0: (laughs) That's
2: right No interruptions at all Wait, hold on a second Where's the dungeons for both of you?
0: Oh, I guess we're going to be in the dungeon tonight.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, here we go. The summary. Legend presents viewers with a friendly romp through the underworld in classic mythological fashion. Classic. Doesn't sound familiar? Okay, let me back up a second. Legend is a story about lovebirds Jack and Lily whose summer romance turns into lifelong commitment after they save the world from never-ending darkness in a typical rom-com story of boy teaches girl how to talk to animals, girl commits a forbidden act against a sacred being, boy travels to the underworld to save the girl, girl helps thwart the devil's plans, and love and light bring summer back to the land.
0: I think my mom used to tell me this fairy tale when I was a kid. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so Jack, played by Tom Cruise...
0: Not Jack, who's in the room.
2: No.
1: Not Jack, but Jack. Now, hold on, was there a beanstalk in this movie? No. Damn.
2: So Jack (laughs) is a forest dweller and friend to animals and fairy kind alike. Lily is an entitled princess intent on having it all her way. Together they spell destruction for life and light as we know it, as their love and innocence doom the sacred unicorns to entrapment and ruin at the hands of goblins.
0: Ah, The environmental message of this movie is profound.
2: These dastardly beings work for none other than the Big D himself. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it's darkness. Intent on taking over the world by stealing the unicorn's power and spreading his inky bits all over the land.
0: Did you say inky bits?
2: He likes to spread darkness around. I imagine it's kind of like bits of his, his essence.
1: <laughs> he does require the solace of the shadow. It's true. And the dark of the night. Also, I think it's important to know he's inside each and every person. That's right.
2: So Lily is tempted by jewels and becomes his queen as Jack is conscripted by fairies to become the champion of the light. The forest friends infiltrate Big D's fortress and defeat him after just a few hijinks by using light beams to jettison him into space. Then they all lived happily ever after.
0: Did they? Did they?
2: I guess we'll talk about that in the rewriting history section. Ooh,
0: good idea. Whoa! Whoa! Well, then, now that we've had a completely uninterrupted
1: summary, I guess it's time to get into the bulk. And to give a little more description, you know, we mentioned Darkness, the big D. He's a devil. And uh, he's, like, pretty stereotypical. And what a devil. He's smooth devil. He's a charming devil. He's a scary devil. He's the devil in us all. He's a big, like, eight foot tall red man with the hooves, the huge horns. He's... You know, he's the spitting image with the claws, the glowing eyes, you know. Now, for anyone who doesn't know, Tim Curry had to go through
0: about five hours of makeup every day. And he had to wear this gigantic, like, horn head harness thing that had to be supported by, like, wires and stuff. And it was just, it played havoc on his body. And he would have to, like, sit in a bathtub for an hour after shooting... To get all the spirit glue off of him And I guess one day on set He just totally freaked out and started ripping off The makeup until he actually Tore off his
1: own skin You know, that's the burden of channeling The Lord of Darkness, you know
2: The darkness was inside him
1: It's true I mean, I guess it was
0: worthwhile because Holy shit, this is just one of Curry's most Profound performances So, I know that you guys are wondering Where's the class struggle in this movie? And boy oh boy is there a class struggle in
1: this movie. You know, I I think there's a different class struggle in the light side of the world and in the dark side of the world. Yeah. That's true. Mm-hmm. But
0: let's have you kick
1: it off, Jane. So
0: right from the very beginning we see the main character, Lily, going around fucking with commoners just like kind of stealing from them and ruining their days. But then, you know, she goes into this, uh, house, just uninvited and unbidden. And then the woman who lives there, Nell comes in and basically just chastises, uh, Lily for not acting like a lady and saying that she shouldn't be visiting the poor people because she's of a better class than them. And I was just like, wow, this, this, uh, poor Nell has just really internalized this uh, the disadvantages to the point where she actually believes that she shouldn't even have the right to associate with somebody like Lily.
2: Yeah, she says that she always felt like she wasn't good enough to even really talk to her, but she always considered to, her to be like a daughter. So that's a pretty big struggle, internal struggle right there.
1: Yeah, very confusing. I'd also like to mention on the other side of things, uh, on the other side of town, in the land of darkness, uh, darkness employs, what is the goblin's name? Blix. Blix. I loved Blix. The most unremarkable of the goblins, in darkness's opinion, he mentions it. Uh, He hires her for the job, and when she grabs the unicorn's horn, the alicorn, the alicorn, She gives a speech to her companions how goblins will be beloved and worshipped now that she has this horn and they can rise up from the bonds of slavery because they have to serve darkness. I was really into that moment, but we'll talk more about that in Rewriting History. Whoa! But that definitely showed some class struggle on the dark side because darkness is definitely a dictator and the goblins, it Mm -hmm. seems, at least from her perspective, aren't big fans.
0: No, they're being cowed by this, you know, I mean, actual physical embodiment of tyranny.
1: Yeah. In in darkness. Mm -hmm. Makes a lot of sense to me. And the goblins, you know, just from the three that we see, uh, have quite a bit of pride in their race, in their species. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're, and you know, they're,
0: they're tired of being the toadies of this dark overlord. They want to have their own rights and responsibilities and everything you know they, they want to take matters in the, into their own hands
1: mm-hmm. it's true and back on the light side of things it seems like the the commoners are pleasantly surprised when lily comes to interact with them like we've mentioned when she plays jokes and hangs out with them
0: even though she's basically stealing from them and making all
1: of their lives harder It's true. I think the assumption is supposed to be that they live such pleasant lives that a few mouthfuls of bread won't kill them like in a medieval Earth society. Sure. Hopefully not. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) I'm wondering what their basis for comparison is. Because they seem pleasantly surprised and they keep mentioning how someone of her status doesn't need to interact with commoners. But this all happens before time exists, right? Whatever that means. Yeah, I wasn't sure if that was just, like, flowery language from the title crawl or not. But uh, I also think this is a very interesting film because they don't show, really, any, like, major civilization in this film. When you see the princess and her kingdom, you only see these commoners living in trees on the border of the woods. Not gonna lie,
0: kind of a sweet setup, if you ask me.
1: Yeah, I like it. It's a nice, charming little area. Uh, Unfortunately, they have a lot of knowledge of the dangers of the woods. They tell the princess not to go out there, even though her boyfriend is out there. But, uh... Yeah, I'm not sure what this nation she is from is actually like, because we don't see it, and her commoners assume that nobles shouldn't, like, pay attention to them. So, yeah, whatever the culture is like there, it, uh, it seems a little precarious. Just a touch. <laughs> Just a touch. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, they do know about all the powers that are in the forest, and Nell kind of warns Lily about magical creatures to watch out for, or evidence that magical creatures are around to watch out for in the forest. So there's a lot of lore in that one little moment. And so they kind of know how precarious the balance is between the wilds and civilization. And that Ooh. kind of reminds me of um, one of the main themes I wanted to talk about, which we've kind of touched on in the summary. is the balance between light and dark. Yes. And it's um, in the intro crawl, they state that the harmony of life depends on the balance between light and darkness. And they kind of hint at that both are needed to maintain this balance.
0: So you're saying that by the end of the movie, they have fucked up everything.
2: (laughs) Yeah, kind of. Well, no, it just mainly means that maybe... Darkness or light can prevail for a short amount of time, but everything kind of comes back into a balance eventually. So we'll get to that in a little bit. But I basically don't think that Big D can ever really die.
0: So all effort in life is futile and pointless.
1: (laughs) Oh, man.
2: (laughs) Oh, boy. Um,
1: That is definitely a takeaway from this children's movie.
2: (laughs) So... These two opposing forces of light and dark are, I saw them being repeated on many different levels, small and large, throughout the whole movie, uh, between characters and uh, through symbolism. So, um, in terms of the characters, we could see these characters representing forces of light or forces of dark. From the lower creatures like the goblins Uh, It's stated many times And kind of shown through their actions That it can Both are within the humans Both the capabilities to be Like Commit acts of light or dark Are within humans And then at the top level Of this kind of power Structure it Were the unicorns as the Ultimate symbol of light and Goodness Mm -hmm. and Big D darkness himself, uh, in the form of a devil, like Jack mentioned as the embodiment of the core essence of like dark or shadow and evil, pure evil basically. And, um, so you have all of that kind of going throughout the movie Light is often uh, equated with good and innocence and dark with corruption and, like, shadow. I also saw this playing out in the way that gender was treated in the movie. Poorly. Yeah. Do tell. So, this balance between light and dark is also kind of seems to be Repeated as like a need to have balance between male and female energies as well. And um, so you kind of see it with like the goblins. Blix is a female and she is a being of the dark. And Gump is male and he is a being of light. He's the leader of the forest fairies.
0: Fun fact: The actor who played Gump was only nineteen or twenty when he, or I'm, was actually nineteen or twenty when he made this. But he was—he's was a very youthful-looking fellow. He, he,
2: based on his physique, he looked like he may have been twelve or thirteen, and yeah, the look, like the youthful quality of his facial features. And yeah, something.
1: I was—he needed much makeup. <laughs>
0: I was surprised that he was, um, you know. That age and and uh, still had a, a tremendous youthfulness to him. Right. It's true.
2: So the wildness of the forest was kind of equated with male energy and civilization was equated with female energy embodied in Jack and Lily. And then um, also the stallion and the mare, uh, the unicorns, they had to reign over the light and beings of good together um they had to both be alive and well to keep evil or darkness at bay and they're they're kind of expressed in the movie as sacred beings who can express only love and light but it's shown through when the stallion is uh injured by blix that um And the whole forest is plunged into winter, the season of death, uh, that you actually need both of them to balance the forces, light and dark.
0: I was surprised that the mythology of this included the idea that Lily even touching the unicorns was considered a forbidden act. Besides being... Innocent. Besides being typical that the female character was the one who transgresses this sacred prohibition.
2: Well, you know, that's another one of my notes. It, it's kind of like a morality play. Oh, very way. much so. It, it really reminded me of um, Christian mythology and... Um, like Punch and Judy, tale, right? The tale of Adam and Eve.
0: Oh, I've heard of those two before.
2: <laughs> so... Lily is tempted by her desire to touch the unicorn, which is a sacred animal.
0: Jack... <laughs> uh, I bet she does want to touch the unicorn. Yeah, I have no idea what this means.
2: <laughs> so Jack says that she's risking her immortal soul by touching them.
0: Yeah, that was, uh, I mean, and typical. So typical she, males.
2: kind of like Eve like being tempted by knowledge and going after the apple. She's tempted by her desire to touch something sacred.
0: But here's the thing. Like, this is just what Jack thinks. And, and, you know, he says, oh, it's this forbidden thing. But it really, I mean, it was just happenstance because Blitz happened to be there with the dart. Like, that wasn't, it It wasn't God's wrath upon them for for Lily, like, touching the unicorn. That was just Jack's superstition and the, the coincidence of blitz being there at the right time.
2: Yeah, it's true. It's kind of like they have their own kind of superstitions in the forest.
0: But meanwhile, he chastises her for this. Yeah. Like a dick. <laughs>
2: um so the unicorn is made vulnerable because of this taboo act that Lily committed. By the way, her her name Lily is a symbol of purity but also of death, which so that's interesting. <sighs> Um, So yeah, the force is plunged into winter and darkness The balance is upset after the stallion Stallion is wounded and his horn is cut off
0: Ouch um,
2: Time is kind of frozen in the human world In civilization
0: I mean, literally frozen By like frost and snow and crap (laughs) Yeah Was this Um, the beginning of time?
2: It's the land before time
0: Ooh
2: um and Lily is kind of tainted by this act uh after this uh she has a ragged appearance her hair is unkempt her dress is torn and later it becomes dirty so her- she was wearing a white dress before and now it's tattered and gray uh, to kind of exemplify how uh, she's tainted by her this sin of touching a sacred being. Right. So, doing something forbidden.
1: That's a clear alignment shift from good to neutral, <laughs> by the way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, later on, when she has her goth phase, she's
0: touching on going from neutral to evil.
1: That's an alignment shift.
2: So this kind of plays into another theme that there was, of, like secret knowledge that kind of can be shared with others but secrets are almost like a commodity to certain beings and um that fits with the
0: mythological of, story yeah, and the fairy tale. That's
2: where we get into the area of like where you can see how this film draws upon folklore. Um and all of this knowledge oftentimes kind of edges around something that's forbidden you know um so it it's uh it can be kind of innocuous like jack sharing with lily how to speak to animals um oh and then like telling her where the unicorns are gonna be is much more taboo he shouldn't have even told her that he knows about it yeah he's
0: kind of setting her up this is entrapment
2: (laughs) Kind of is. I guess he didn't ex. He didn't seem to expect that she would uh, go beyond what he kind of explicitly stated they couldn't do.
1: Yeah. Well, he's not the brightest knight in the forest.
2: No. Or the brightest light.
1: Eh. Yeah. (laughs) He's not very used to being around people, though. So I think he doesn't have the best judgment when it comes to understanding other humans.
0: Well, that's True. that. That's a good point, and I think we sh- would be remiss if we didn't bring up his crew of uh, of his team. You know, yeah. Jack's team. Some of the, really the highlight reel of this film. Including, I, I will say, uh, eagle-eyed satirists will have probably noticed that Screwball, the actor who plays Screwball, was Billy Barty, a swords and satire alumni who played the high Aldwyn in Willow.
2: Yeah, I was excited to find that out. And just to backtrack for a second, so the, the this is the crew that I called the Forest Friends, and they're the fairy folk that are that Jack had befriended at some point. They know who he is.
0: They're the real stars of this film, as far as I'm concerned, especially so, Una, the horny fairy. Yeah, always my favorite character archetype.
2: So Gump is their leader. He is, I think that he is supposed to be the fabled gob. Who is the leader of, like, forest fae creatures. I'm
0: trying very hard not to point out the fact that this is Gump from the forest.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: But I guess I um, didn't try hard enough.
2: And then all of the other characters in this troupe are fairies and brownies of some elk.
0: There's Screwball. Mm-hmm. And Una.
2: The fairy, yes.
0: And the one who I'm forgetting the name of... Brown
2: Tom, who is kind of just somebody who likes to drink elderberry wine a lot.
1: Who doesn't? I mean, I don't, but... I'd also like to mention one of the Forest Gang, since, uh, Screwball and Brown Tom are both these kind of halfling-like creatures. Uh Kind of hobbit type of things. Uh, Trademark. uh, Trademark! Uh... One of the thing, one of the creatures, the minions traveling with Pix at the beginning, was revealed later on. Oh,
2: you mean Blix.
1: Blix, of course. Yes. When the main gang is in one of the cells in Darkness's dungeon, in the adjacent cell was one of Blix's, uh, you know, underlings. Underlings, and he reveals that he is basically a corrupted halfling. Oh, the Oompa Loompa. Yes, he was. Uh, Not corrupted at that precise moment, but he was basically kind of persuaded to help out the dark side.
2: He seemed, yeah, like he used to be a forest fae. Right, now he's a dungeon dude. Yeah, a dungeon dude. And he was, he looked like part fae, part goblinoid.
1: It's true, one of his hands was like a scaled claw. Yeah. I noticed that.
2: So he was corrupted, but it was like a redemption art for him to help them. Mm -hmm.
0: I like that. I like that uh, character personification, that character choice.
1: That was a great little subplot, I thought. Mm -hmm. And they save him again later on when he's being baked into like a pot pie. (laughs) Yeah, by some ogres. They save him, and he's very grateful. He helps them defeat Big D as well.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Unfortunately, when they shoot their light laser at him, which they do with mirrors, by the way, cleverly, directing light through to his uh, main, like, torture chamber.
0: The slowest beam of light ever. Definitely not moving at the speed of light. I guess before time, light didn't move, you know, at the speed of light.
2: Actually, that's kind of true. Photon uh, particles... Came into being after time began.
1: Yeah, fair enough. I would almost argue that the movement of matter and energy would be measured in time, and I see a lot of movement in energy happening in this film. But let's not get into that. So, day-night uh, no, cycles—that's no, not.
0: Time. No, I want to. I want to break this down. Where's the science, Jack?
1: Where's the science? Yeah, as I was saying, there's day and night cycles. By killing the last unicorn, darkness will stop day from ever coming back. Do we ever see a cycle? Oh, and
2: time is frozen yeah. for the humans.
1: Yeah, it's true. Time yeah. is frozen. Actually, day and night are still happening, though the humans are frozen.
2: You're right. That's there is weird. a night
1: time that happens. It's because one, I thought
2: one it, of the unicorns is still alive. I thought it yeah, was just true.
1: night as soon as the unicorn was attacked. That it, it does. It just stayed night.
2: No, there's another day that happens.
0: That's how they get the sunlight
1: to kill darkness. It's like Ah.
2: the last bit of light they're ever going to see.
1: If you were so bold as to assume that the day and night cycle would be twice as long with half the number of unicorns... I would never be that bold. Well, then there's nothing to be said about that. (laughs) (laughs) But time? Yeah, it doesn't exist. That's, That's all I'm getting at.
2: Exactly. So um, Jack actually does ask for forgiveness from the other unicorn and Tom Cruise. the mayor who's left. So the mayor is guarding the stallion as it's laying there immobile and uh, she seems to understand what fabled Jack is saying and seems to forgive him. And he that's when he becomes the champion for light and he's wearing gold armor through the rest of the movie.
0: Yeah, he got a nice uh, upgrade. Got himself a legendary artifact weapon, nice nice suit of armor. And meanwhile, doesn't give his team any gear. Very selfish. He pulled a real
1: Gandalf on him.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's true.
1: Very true. He he's got that protagonist syndrome going on. You know.
0: Yeah, he really does. He thinks he's the main character or something. <laughs> it's true. Clearly, <laughs> Una the horny fairy is the main character.
2: I kind of thought Big D was the main character.
0: Okay, I'll, I'll buy it. Yeah.
2: Um. But so Lily, on the other hand, seems to lose faith in herself, and you can kind of see this descent. And it's even a descent into the underworld As she goes into Big D's lair And um, that's when I mentioned her white dress Becomes dirty and torn And then um, This is when she has her
0: goth phase
2: Yeah, exactly Uh, She becomes a goth princess So eventually she begins wearing outright black When she's tempted This is her second temptation And she fails again Um, so she's tempted when in the lair yeah, she's tempted by all these diamonds and other jewels in his antechamber and it's like the only beacon of light in the whole dungeon. And, uh, she she gives in super quick. uh, I mean,
0: come on, look at Big D, how can you not?
2: She starts dancing with a dress that kind of dances on its own and then she becomes that being and her hair is completely black and all done up. She has black makeup on.
0: It's a good so, look.
2: So it real did good look, look real good. She's got this really low cut V dress. I mean,
0: plunging would be an understatement. It goes <laughs> to the
1: belt like yeah. that.
2: Um. Yeah. So she kind of plays a little game of cat and mouse with uh, Big D as he's coming out of the mirror. Another mirror. Oh, it's really a great scene because right after she gives into her temptation, she's looking at her reflection in this huge mirror and then darkness emerges from her reflection in the mirror. It's a great moment of symbolism. Right? Oh,
0: yes, symbolism. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I really got a lot of... Uh, I saw a lot of coding for Greek mythology in this part of the movie.
1: Oh, okay. Ooh, yeah. do tell.
2: So... Darkness and Lily kind of reminded me of Hades and Persephone.
0: Oh, yeah. My favorite couple. Um, Oh, yes. yes.
1: Oh, yes.
2: Because uh, he's the ruler of the underworld. He was, after she was kind of tempted to come into his realm, he was trying to woo her and entice her with all this food and drink. And there's all kinds of... um, Lore in folklore and uh, mythology that you're not supposed to eat or drink any of the food or beverages in the underworld.
0: A theme that uh, Guillermo del Toro uses very well in Pan's Labyrinth. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, yeah. uh,
2: or you might be stuck there forever, basically, or it might lead to your death.
1: That's, That's true. the idea. In Sumerian mythology, it's a thing, too.
2: Right.
0: Yeah. I'm not going to lie, I am constantly trying to avoid things that would lead to my death. Yeah. I'm just strange that way. When I'm in the underworld, I I'm hands off, you know. Yeah. Yeah, me, too. <laughs> me too. Oh man, and, and the curry is just standing there with these you know, just these amazing looks, this great face acting, this sly, sly dog that he is standing next to the table, just giving her the leer. Yeah. It's true. He's actually trying to be quite
1: cordial in this scene. But he can't quite keep his temper under control. It's true.
2: He struggles with it.
1: Gentle persuasion just ain't really in his nature. No. Patience is not really in his nature. Not a virtue for evil. Nope. Yeah. Or maybe that's the point. Hmm.
2: He tries to tell her when he first emerges from her reflection that the, that she shouldn't be afraid of him because they're, beneath the skin they are already one. So uh, he kind of tells her that the sin of Profaning a sacred being uh, that taints her soul is what makes her his perfect match.
0: Yeah, he falls in love with her.
2: Yeah, and he wants her to be his queen and he, he like I said, he tries to woo her.
0: It's unfortunate, of course, because he just seems like he's only interested in possessing her at that point, though. She, he very much objectifies her in this whole relationship. He hasn't ever, he's not in love with her because ...of her personality or any of her, you know, actual, like, significant qualities. It's just because she's this representation of good that he can corrupt.
2: Exactly. She is, um, an innocent being that's been tainted by a sinful act. And he finds that very alluring and enticing. And he becomes kind of obsessed with that idea.
0: And I find those themes troubling and disturbing. (laughs)
2: Yeah. But it was very interesting. His makeup was amazing. He he does look pretty hot, pretty sexy in those scenes. Oh
0: yeah, I mean, hot like the fires of hell. Yeah.
1: Dude, when you see like a peek down through the top of his cape, in one scene, his back muscles are just like canyon esque. He has huge back yeah, it's muscles. Yeah, true. Yeah. He's a beefy guy in this film. Yeah. Pretty awesome. I'm assuming a lot of that was prosthetics. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's all Tim Curry.
2: <laughs> so another way that this reminded me of Greek mythology was this descent into the underworld. It's like a uh, katabasis of Greek mythology. And that is a basically like I said, a journey into the underworld, usually uh to recover something or someone that was lost or to gain an artifact or a skill of some kind. And then usually uh, the protagonist, usually a hero, uh, will then return back to the land of the living with the thing that was lost or with this new power. And so you have that uh, removal from the land of the living journeying through the land of the dead usually uh, and then so that's like a liminal period and then you have the reemergence and reintegration into the living land of the living and so we saw that when they went to his uh fortress which was kind of like hell right and um black
0: onyx stone and
2: they went to do all of those things, actually. Usually, in a myth, you will have, like, one thing somebody's after. Maybe something else on the side. But usually there's, like, one thing somebody's after.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's um, the main quest line and then the side quest that you pick up along the way from NPCs.
2: Yeah, basically. So, in this movie, they were doing all of the things. They wanted to recover the um, Alicorn. They wanted to save Lily. They wanted to, um, get rid of darkness itself. Uh, so they were, they had many different m- main missions they were kind of trying to realize or come bring to fruition uh, in this descent into the underworld. So I thought it was pretty interesting. They were laying it all on the line. <laughs> So there were three main types of uh, influences in this movie. Like we mentioned the Christian and the Greek mythology and then the European folklore.
0: Very cool. Which yeah. often get uh, syncretized together in a variety of
1: storytelling traditions.
2: Yeah. And, and
0: different films and
1: games and stuff. Yeah. Also, one more thing about Jack
2: yeah. is...
1: You know, he lives in the forest, he doesn't live as part of civilization. He knows about the unicorns. When she asks him why you can't touch the unicorns and why it's blasphemous, his response, he says that it's known. And that's that's the most explanation we get.
0: I mean, that's usually enough in fairy tales.
1: It's true. The fairies all know this. Darkness and his dark beings all know this, which makes me think that Jack might be like half fae or somehow bound to light
2: yeah
1: yeah he could be somehow like partially a being of light in some way because he knows things just kind of inherently he has a great relationship with the creatures of the fae and speak to animals he's even has a great relationship with the unicorns as much as you can Mm -hmm. and fairies want to fuck him yeah it's true it makes me think maybe it's just because he's the chosen one And the magic armor doesn't have anything in between the legs, so he can still show off his crotch when he squats down.
0: That's part of his charisma checks.
1: You know, maybe it's just that he has that natural, like, charisma of being the chosen one. You know,
2: he does have all this knowledge of the forest, but he only seems to be kind of called upon to become a champion. Actually, it... He says that it's the mayor who told him, I think I guess through telepathy, that he needed to be a champion. Or they Mm. needed to choose a champion and uh, Gump chose Jack. But um, he only is called upon when things are out of balance. So maybe he's like a balancing force.
1: Yeah. It's a real balancing act. Yeah. Champion of the light, you know?
2: Uh, yeah. So something about Lily I wanted to make sure we talked about and didn't forget is that she has her own redemption moment.
1: Yes. Yeah.
2: Um, In the, like, the final scene in the underworld portion of the movie, they are in kind of like a torture chamber or a sacrificial room of uh darkness's fortress and there is like a pit of lava there <laughs> and chains holding the mare so they've captured the mare as well as lily and lily kind of did a whole like a fake uh and said that she wanted to be the one to kill the unicorn but
0: oh man in that moment darkness is like oh,
1: I think he had boy. an orgasm pp hard yeah definitely <laughs>
2: yeah he has a, a real like
1: alicorn <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah
2: so she has this huge dagger and uh she's raising it as if she's gonna stab the mare and kill it and but then she sets it free Right. and uh but
0: this whole time uh jack has got an arrow trained on her and gump is like no killer just Shoot her! Kill her now! And Jack's like, no, I trust her, I trust her. I'm not going to do it.
2: Yeah, and he always shows faith in her. So that's another thing that kind of goes throughout the movie. If
0: there's one positive aspect of this film.
2: And so that's about... Uh, so Jack comes in and is fighting darkness because he struck Lily down. Um, and so as Jack is fighting darkness and you almost think he's going to lose... He recovers the alicorn, and that's when the light beam finally blasts into that room and is shooting him back towards this hole in the back of the uh, torture chamber that is a hole to space. You know,
0: like you have in your wall. Underground.
2: There is, like, antimatter, you know, and, uh, I mean, dark matter, and... Uh, stars behind him. Like, it's space. It's straight Um, up the
0: void. In the bottom, in the wall of this cave, there is space.
2: (laughs) Um, so... I don't mean space,
0: I mean space, like outer space. So
2: he had struck Jack right before the light hit him and taken the alicorn, and then, um, he's getting blasted back towards this hole, and, um... He calls upon his father to save him, which is, like, pure evil. He just kind of talks to some disembodied voice. Is it? I
0: thought that he was talking to what we would think of as perhaps a monotheistic deity.
2: Maybe. If it's the devil.
0: I mean, if this is, if this is supposed to be, you know, say, the devil as in, like, Lucifer Morningstar devil, like, it would make sense that, you know, he would be the, the child of God the way that, yeah. you know, he would be an angel, a fallen angel. It's true. Earlier in the film... And he's looking up. I mean, yeah. you know, normally... Assuming this movie is digging deep into its Christian mythology, like, if he was calling to a greater evil than himself, he'd probably be looking down, but instead he's looking up to That's the sky. That's true.
2: And um, then when that doesn't work, he starts trying to appeal to Jack. And Yeah, um, well, he's
0: got to play that tempter game one more time.
2: Yeah, he kind of makes a point, like, and to this character, which makes sense to this character who kind of is trying to maintain the balance, he says, what is light without dark? And then he says, we are brothers eternal.
0: Yes, this guy makes a lot of sense.
2: Yeah, it's those are some really great lines. And um, Jack isn't having it, though, and he, like, um, somersaults in and cuts off the Darkness's hand and, like, gets the alicorn back and then Darkness just kind of, like, freeform falls into space. <laughs>
0: yeah, he basically Luke Skywalker them. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah, he explodes.
1: <laughs> okay, well, that's not the Luke
0: Skywalker <laughs> That's
2: right, he explodes, and it looks like a bunch of shooting stars going
1: everywhere. Yes, the sparks of a being from Muspelheim. <laughs> it's just flesh confetti. Yeah, it is.
2: But they're... We were, as we were talking before, I don't think he can ever really die.
0: It's true. Can darkness ever truly be stopped?
2: I think that maybe he can be defeated for a time, but that he'll come back in some form. I hope
1: so. It's true. They were mentioning that early on. Again, when they say that darkness is in every person, it uh, there was something in the film that made it imply that just over time, that darkness is what would bring him back. Yeah. But at the end, even after he explodes, I believe the final shot of the film is kind of his face faded over darkness as he's doing the Tim Curry laugh. Perhaps it ties That's back... That's
2: right. Yeah, yeah, the last
1: thing you see in the movie is darkness laughing.
2: Yeah, that was so epic.
1: Perhaps it ties back
0: to epic. this idea that <laughs> there is, you know, the, the light and the dark in all humans, so, you know... He will return when humans call him back to pay him tribute. Oh, oh man. Nice. What is a man? A miserable little pile of secrets. See? Oh, Legend? Yeah. Symphony of the Night? Oh, my oh. God. It's
2: a great tie-in there.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Well, now it's time for a new segment that I like to call Evil, Stupid, or Misunderstood. This is the time when we break down the villain's motivations to see if they were evil, stupid, or misunderstood.
2: So, I'm thinking that uh, maybe the darkness is just a little misunderstood, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, he, he really was just in it for love. Or yeah, at least love whatever is the he darkness. thinks. <laughs> well, whatever he thinks love is. I mean, that would be. He, he could be misunderstanding and also misunderstood.
2: Yeah. Um, So he wants to spread Darkness. darkness and he wants it to be forever night because that is how he can live and survive in the world.
1: If I had to phrase it a certain way, I might say that he requires the solace of the shadows in the dark of the night. Yeah. I, I I could see that. I could see describing it that way. Right. I think the reasoning is that Sunshine is his destroyer. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: That's how I'd say it. Well yeah. I mean, if he has his way, there will never be
0: another dawn. Oh no. <laughs>
2: Roll credits. Um so yeah, he when he appears as death in a shroud to his goblins. Oh, so cool. Um He says that he can only influence mankind through their dreams, which I thought was a really interesting idea. Oh,
0: that's neat. And
2: he talks about the dreams of youth becoming the regrets of maturity. I thought that was really great. But he wants, so he wants to be able to make his mark upon the world and influence humans in a more direct way. Right. Um, He's tired of being relegated to the realm of dreams. And he wants to take over more control. Um, I mean, I can understand how he's getting tired of hanging out in his uh, his own fortress all the time.
0: Sure, I mean, but then again, you know, I, I think if he maybe tried to build a better relationship with the goblins, like he could be, he wouldn't be so lonely all the time. He might feel a little bit better rather than mistreating them so much and like sowing discord and rebellion. I mean, you know. Blitz basically is looking for any opportunity she can to get out from under his cloven hoof. Yeah, it's true. But if he treated her like, you know, an equal, in in like a nice, like, more level hierarchy, it would be a lot better for everybody. It's
1: true. It's true. You know, that's actually kind of one of the reasons why I thought, and this, uh, you know, it might be a pretty subtle opinion of mine, but I think he might have had some evil motivation... Yeah, yeah, it's I mean, just oh, me. Yeah,
2: yeah,
0: yeah. It's just
1: me. Maybe, maybe. I, I, I think we all agree. He's not stupid.
2: <laughs> no. he,
1: he's not like
0: a lot of villains in films. He, he's not, like, his motivation's not some boneheaded scheme or anything. Like, he's got some something going on. Yeah. So
2: our first one, I feel like, is kind of a mixture between misunderstood and evil.
0: Now, he says yeah. an interesting line, and, you know, I, I'm not necessarily saying that, um... You know, this is uh, the right perspective, or or just that you know, the the problem is that he kind of fetishizes uh, Lily, but through some extent he has this. I'd say what it reminded me of like a pagan, almost feminist perspective, because he's talking about how female people are unique because they have the power of creation. I, I again, I'm not getting into. The, the semantics of this, but I thought that was a fascinating line that he kind of... He has, I would say, a reverence for women. And and again, it, it might be a somewhat fetishistic perspective or, or uh, simplistic or, or whatever, but he, he does kind of point that out in a way that I thought stood out to me. That really uh-huh. stood out to me.
2: Yeah, I could see that. Um...
0: Especially with, like, up to this point, we mostly just have Jack shitting all over Lily basically saying that she's fucked up and and all this other stuff and blaming her while at the same time like desiring her and wanting to go save her and everything You're getting a lot of mixed messages throughout the film
2: yeah so when Blix is trying to convince uh her boss Big D to forget about the mayor because it's just a female it's it has no power and right that's when he kind of becomes upset at how ignorant that is. And uh, Darkness says, only the powers of creation.
0: Yeah. Yes. <clears throat> and, you know, it's, it's unfortunately, uh, Blitz has been kind of forced into this self-loathing position.
2: Internalized misogyny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he does kind of fetishize... Lily but he also treats her as an autonomous individual he doesn't try to push himself on her he's always just trying to woo her and tempt her
0: yeah he really does want her to to choose him
2: and he treats her with respect
0: I mean he gets her a really nice dress nice things yeah nice things (laughs) nice gothic things the
2: trappings of a gilded cage
1: Uh, yes well there is that darkness is a neat lad (laughs) anyway he's got a charisma when he was trying to convince lily to take a seat at the table he was trying to be calm like we mentioned earlier his patience didn't last but he was asking her to just like take a seat sit down enjoy the food the drink he was being pretty reasonable he wasn't asking for a whole lot in that scene just that they kind of have a discussion he was a charming devil it's true Uh, And of course she was smart enough To know that that was a slippery slope Oh yeah The slipperiest Yeah it's true When he lost his temper she sat down And I think But that was out of fear So it kind of undermined his whole It's true It's not how he would have preferred that situation went And I think that adds to him not being stupid Because he took a, a smart approach to that Yeah You know disguising the darkness as light Maybe So, I I think it's pretty clear-cut of evil and misunderstood.
2: Yeah, I guess you can be a little bit of each.
0: Sure. Mm -hmm. I found him to be sympathetic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I always identify with the devil.
2: Yeah.
0: (laughs) He's just such a neat (laughs) fellow. Well, then I think it's time to rate this movie. I'm going to ask each of you to tell me the most epic moment from the film, and then to give this a rating in 1 to 10 swords. Jack, why don't you go first?
1: Okay. All right, I'll talk about perhaps something that I enjoyed as just a kind of recurring thing. Uh, One thing I think was pretty epic in this film was, like you said, Darkness says he can only interact with people through their dreams. Which is why his palace is pretty surreal with that dancing dress that when she look, like gives into it, it binds with her body. But also a lot of the architecture in his fortress is alive. Kind of like a construct. Because during that scene with the dancing dress, there's like a statue baby that is like also watching and just kind of positioning himself to get a better view. And it's not important. It's just in the background. Furniture and different sculptures will watch things as they're happening. Yeah,
2: it's true. You kind
1: of move and observe. Which I thought was pretty neat. So, just that strange, dreamlike land that he owns, I thought was pretty epic moment. I'm a really big fan of this film. What kind of person would I be if I didn't give one of my favorites a full arsenal of ten swords?
0: Whoa! A wow. perfect. Arsenal? Our
1: first ten.
0: Or at least my first ten. I am mm-hmm. I am shaken to my core.
1: Yes.
2: Nice. Yeah, this movie was really interesting. Um, I mean I love it. There's the nostalgic factor. I think I gotta go back to something I've already stated just because of how cool the symbolism was. I think the one of the most epic moments to me was right after she gives into the temptation in the fortress and she's fused with the dress she becomes a gothic princess she's looking at her reflection in the mirror and then the darkness emerges from her reflection and she kind of sees a physical embodiment of her own sin and transgression i thought that was such a cool symbolic scene and a A really heavy moment I thought that was really neat uh I mean I think I gotta go and give it a 10 too just because of how great all the costumes were and all the nods to mythology and folklore it's not a perfect movie but I think that it deserves a 10 for what they were trying to do with it and how much of an iconic movie it is uh in our the para language of our like their film environment,
0: the listeners need to know that I am literally a god right now at these ratings. I am, hmm. My hair, if I had it, would be blown
1: back. It's true. I noticed <laughs> and was a little worried when your jaw hit the floor and your eyes stretched out like two or three feet. Yeah, I know. I was concerned.
0: I I was uh I not sure if I should see a doctor. There, my eyes are just kind of hanging down by my uh, arms now, it's a little weird. Oh, man. That's not (laughs)
1: great. And talking through this distended
0: jaw is
1: kind of painful. It's true. When the steam and train sounds came out of your ears, I think it might have been so loud the mic didn't pick up on it. I think that's true, yeah.
2: (laughs) Nice.
0: Um, I would say that for me the most epic moment is when Meg Mucklebone shows up. That, of course, is... The uh, Bog tr- uh, the yeah. Bog Hag played by drumroll please S- Star Trek Voyager's holographic doctor himself Robert Picardo an absolute darling of mine. I always enjoy him in anything he pops up in and the fact that he is playing this completely prosthetic uh bog hag character i loved it hags are one of my favorite D um monsters to to run and always interested with their mythology and the lore behind them i thought that was really cool a good nod to classic myths and um and, you know probably some some rpg influence i'm i'm i don't know if it's true but i'm just gonna say it Can why not um i like it
1: as far, oh, as
0: far as far the rating, I'm not going to uh, be able to go quite so high as my cohorts here. Uh, although, I definitely appreciate this movie uh, more now having seen the theatrical cut, which I don't care if the star and the director disagree. I, I thought that the nice, tight 90 minutes, the Tangerine Dream soundtrack and all of that was really top-notch for me. I'm going to go ahead and give this seven swords. Mm. And that's the way it's going to be. A nice, reasonable sword. Count. (laughs) But now it's time to rewrite history. This is the part of the podcast where we discuss ideas for a sequel, a reboot, or a rewrite. And I would definitely like to start by posing a spinoff focused on goblin revolution. Oh Now we already we get this moment already where Blitz talks about getting out from under the, the yoke of darkness. She wants creatures to worship goblins as divine. And what a great story it would be to kind of replace some of the classic uh, deific personifications in mythology with, like, goblins. Like, these characters that are usually in, in so much fantasy art and literature and, and, and so many games are relegated to the lowest social hierarchies. I always find goblins fascinating. One of the reasons I really like Pathfinder is that they've elevated goblins to a more respectable place amongst the, the player character races, especially, you know, now with the new second edition of Pathfinder. Um, I think that, you know, goblins are interesting and that there's a lot of interesting social commentary you can do using goblins as this kind of underrepresented group of people or goblins group of goblins.
1: I think there's something to be said about that. About how they've got a negative opinion of them because when I think about goblins being integrated into society or given their own society that is at the same level as others, uh, I'm having trouble imagining anything other than the Ferengi from Star Trek. Oh boy. Yeah. Exactly. That's trouble. I think of them as civilized goblins. So... I hope these goblins could resist their dark nature.
0: So you're saying that the goblins would be going after some gold-pressed pl- latinum?
1: Yeah, exactly. I think they would be, you know, that dark nature is hard to shrug off. I think they'd be big fans of money now that they can have money.
0: Possibly. Well, yeah, okay, but power, here, let me now let me give power you my hungry. Let me give you my let me give you my pitch. Let me give you my pitch. Yeah.
2: I have another idea to add on to this too.
0: Awesome. Just, let me give you my pitch. Okay. Because we've already touched on this up to this point. We, You guys talked about how Darkness probably comes back, right? Darkness is, probably can't be killed. He returns.
1: I think we mentioned that.
0: I want to do, you know, this is a spin-off, but it takes place after Darkness has come back. He's risen back up. He's re-enslaved the goblins. Meanwhile, some of the goblins know the legendary story of Blix. The holder of the Alicorn. The one who, you know, as, as time has gone on, stories have kind of sprung up about Blix actually trying to resist Darkness and, and being defeated. You know, the, yeah. the stories have replaced Jack with Blix. They believe that there was a goblin that oh, once that's defeated... that's wild. There was a goblin that once defeated Darkness, and now there's new group of goblins that wants to... Relive that when darkness
1: has returned.
2: That's cool.
1: I'm such a big fan, actually. Party of Goblins versus the Prince of Darkness. I love it. That's so good.
2: I've got an unlikely twist.
1: Okay, I love it. My favorite kind.
2: So I had an idea. Well, besides
0: a twist of lime.
2: (laughs) I had an idea for a sequel where we get to see Jack being the consort king to Lily. When, later on when they're actually ruling her realm.
0: Okay. He and, would be the king. Uh, the so, consort
2: king. Yeah. Yes. So I think it could be really interesting if... Uh, some of the rebels... Fight. Overthrew their kingdom? No, 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 no. They find out about Jack's involvement. It Maybe it's an offshoot, uh, a offshoot. A group. A fringe group. And they... Send an emissary to their lands, and they they ask the humans for help to defeat Darkness. And it's an unlikely twist. The goblins are actually reaching out to the humans to help defeat the Darkness.
1: Ooh. I love it.
2: And Lily is tempted by Darkness in her dreams to thwart their plans.
0: So maybe Darkness really does have his Dracula Symphony of the Night moment where he's resurrected sooner than they would expect. Mm-hmm. By... Humans who and, wish to pay and him she, tribute.
2: She kind of still has this kind of darkness within her that he can exploit.
0: Oh, interesting.
2: And so she, it's kind of like a portal for him in the dream world.
1: I would love to see that exact trait be caused by her, at the moment, untapped magical abilities in this nice. spinoff would be developed because in the film at the beginning she catches these little like psionic glimpses of everything frozen before everything freezes that's
2: right i forgot about that that's right
1: she has some sort of oracle abilities
2: she has a vision basically yeah
1: she does a A vision of the future magic it's true visions of impending doom and I think it would be really great if she developed that and, like, was able to use it to plan for what's coming. Yeah. And Darkness uses that magical ability to, like, yeah. persuade her before he even appears.
2: Right. And maybe she doesn't know what is her idea and what's been planted in her dreams from him.
1: Yes. Oh, she can't tell her dreams from her visions.
0: Oh. Oh, I like it. Now, how do we Ooh. give it? A, how do we give it a nice twist so that it doesn't just fall into the usual chaff of
2: I think that we kind of show that Jack kind of keeps his faith and trust in her alive and uh, he maybe works with her to try to become like a dream walker and take more control over her dreams so that she can fight the darkness in her dreams and she becomes the champion in the dream realm.
0: That fits with the idea that he might be some kind of fae-human hybrid. He could be the child of uh, a fairy and a human. One of those, you know, in the, in the classic legends right. of, of a fairy seducing a human uh, to, you know, to bed with them and then producing a
1: fairy child offspring. So he's like a scion or like a changeling, as it were. Yeah, yeah. Nice. That could be very cool. And just like them in general could in really inspire the goblins, you know, their heroic feats. They saved the world when they were kids. And goblins are like, Oh, we're not kids. We can do this.
0: <laughs> Alright, I think it's green lit, guys. Let's yeah, let's get this on sounds it. Sounds like a great mm-hmm.
2: story. I wanna see it. Or make it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Alright it. All right, well now it's time for our next segment. Can you role play it? This is where we figure out, well, can you role play it? What would be the what would these characters be uh, represented by in a role playing game or what role playing system would be right to run this world?
1: You know? It's a fantasy and you see it a is. lot of creatures. It's true. And you see a lot of creatures that show up in D&D. But there isn't actually a lot of legitimate combat in this film that you would see in Dungeons & Dragons. No.
2: That's true. The way
1: I see it is they have to kind of trick the ogres into fighting each other by using evasion tactics and different like red herrings for them to strike at each other. When they encounter... Different like monsters, they oftentimes have to avoid rather than fight. The it's only true. time they actually really get into combat is with darkness at the end.
2: Yeah, they use a lot of strategy and guile most of the time.
1: For this reason, I might say it is a little bit of an unlikely monster of the week scenario. I knew because, you were going there, of That's course, the of course, because. It seems like this could be done in a slightly longer one-shot scenario. Just in my mind, I think there there's a lot of partial successes, which is like the lifeblood of Monster of the Week. Yeah. That, because...
2: What are a few examples that you have of that?
1: Well, in D&D, it's a lot of the times either you succeed or you fail. With Monster of the right. Week, you get a lot of middle ground. Mm-hmm. Right? And, uh, let's see. Some examples of that are... Hmm, well, partial successes. A lot of them drop things. There's a lot of dropping stuff in this film. That's not gonna lie. True. And every time that Tom Cruise tries to
0: um, not show off his junk, he only partially succeeds.
1: It's true. <laughs> it's true. He is wearing underwear, which adds it prevents automatic. You know the automatic failures. But <laughs> well, <laughs> it depends. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. But uh,
2: for some, it's just it. Enticement.
1: <laughs> yeah, the thing about this film is they feel very vulnerable, I guess, and that's something you get from Monster of the Week.
2: Yeah. But
1: does it fit the theme? The Monster of the Week tends to be a
0: little, uh, tends to be modern, right?
1: That's true. That's why it would be a little bit unusual. Just giving it fantasy flavor, I think, might be fine. I'm not sure what, you know, if
0: uh, there's probably a powered by the apocalypse fantasy.
1: Uh, if there setting. is, I don't know it. But, yeah, it's worth looking into if you find it. Tweet it.
2: It is an apocalyptic scenario. What is that game?
1: The End of the World.
2: It might be a better storytelling game like The End of the World.
1: Hmm, I see Storytelling
2: heavy RPG. Uh... Because it is kind of an apocalyptic scenario that they go through with the winter coming on, the season of death.
0: I mean, I could definitely see wanting to insert yourself in this story, so I I think that's a decent system. That is a RPG system that is ostensibly built around the idea that you are going to create a character that represents you, or at least in many cases, that is you dealing with these problems.
2: Yeah, and I mean, you could say, like, the... Fairy or forest creature version of yourself,
0: you mm-hmm. know. What, what? How's that different than the actual me?
2: <laughs>
1: you're right. Yeah, <laughs> you're right.
2: Yeah, I'm. Mean, I'm already considered myself to be an elf. So.
1: Hmm. Also, thematically, I'm not sure this works, at all. Right? Maybe it could, if you stretch your imagination. But I would have. I would be a chump, not to make the name pun chronicles of darkness as a setting for this <laughs> yeah. i don't think the role play aspect of it which is very heavy in chronicles of darkness could actually fit this setting very well
0: no this is definitely a bit more like action dungeon delvy it's true not combat dungeon
1: delvy but action dungeon I, I think
0: a lot of puzzles a lot of social yeah. uh moments
1: yeah it's true, but if I didn't throw the name pun in there, what kind of person would I be?
0: That's true. I would have fired you from the podcast.
1: Oh my god! <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah,
2: I think this would be a good end of the world scenario to play out. You would just have to reskin one of the scenarios a little bit and tweak it. And
0: there's a there's a um, mythological series in that. Yeah. Um, in that RPG, it's mm-hmm.
1: true. Now, what is that romantic RPG? Blue were, Rose. Yeah. Although I don't know a lot about it. Right. Well, just a lot of the themes, and we're not talking romantic, like romantic love interest, though I guess that could be one of the themes. No, it's
0: like the romance arts. Right. I think Romantic it, literature uh, from the romance era. It's true, yeah,
1: yeah. And, Inspired uh, by that's I true. could see this movie fitting into that pretty well. It's like nature Fighting civilization, light versus dark. dark. Yeah. You know, those are both themes. You know, love prevailing. These are all themes from the romantic movement. It's true. Though we do follow the hero, which is not one of the major themes, I still think it could fit pretty well into Blue Rose, even though I know nothing about the game other than that's how it is themed. But hey. On
2: theme alone, look into it, it could work. Yeah, it's true. And sometimes that's all you need.
0: There is a romanticism to this story. It's true. Yeah. All right, well, we've done it, guys. Woo! That's it. We're, we've won. Wow.
2: We won at podcasting?
0: Uh, yeah. Let's go with that. All right. This is the point where we'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in and enjoying the rousing reviews and the...
2: Silly synopsis. So,
1: and the fun factotums.
2: <laughs> yeah. And so don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to our channel on either iTunes or Spotify, wherever you heard this podcast. And if you're
0: <laughs> enjoying it, go ahead and uh, log into to iTunes and uh, give us a little review. Why yeah. not?
2: Tell Why her, not? Tell your friends about us. Yeah,
0: or something. Or, you know, if it's too much to ask, don't bother. Tell your friends, tell your loved ones, give them a hug while you're at it. You oh yeah, give them a hug for me too.
2: Tell them you mm-hmm. love them. Tell him
0: we love them. Oh, yeah. We love every one of them.
2: Exactly. Well,
0: on that note, until next time, Hail Hail Crom!